0: Psalm 23, some people know it, yeah, lots of people know it, so you know it's always a good idea when you preach two or three times a year to preach through like one of the most well-known verses in all of, it's really good, it's like no pressure whatsoever. No, but I thought, you know, last week we did Psalm 22 and it's 31 verses, so this is Psalm 23 and it's six, so you're very welcome, thinking of you guys, yeah, thinking of you guys. One of the interesting things about this psalm is how it is embedded collectively in our culture, right? We all know the, the old-fashioned Coolio song, right? Coolio, don't make me do it. You want me to do it? Though I walk through, the, I won't do it. I won't do it. Mainly because I don't want Coolio to, to like hear how good I am, ask me on tour, stuff like that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But not only that, we know the Beatles wrote a song about it. We know that it's in movies. We know it's ingrained in, in pop culture. People talk about Psalm 23 all the time, and they like two themes about it. They either like that God's a shepherd, and that sounds really tame. I like the shepherd God, not the judging God, so Psalm 23 is for me. Or I, we say it at funerals. Though I walk through the Valley of the shadow, how many funerals have we been to and where the preacher goes up and he goes, a reading from Psalm 23. And he goes right there and he does it. So it's embedded in our culture. But what's funny is how often those who are not sheep try to attribute the promises within the psalm to their lives when this psalm necessitates a sheep relationship. Okay, my first observation that I want to make for you today on this psalm is that in order to read it correctly and in order to insert yourself in this psalm, you got to be a sheep. You can't be a person who doesn't orient your life not around Christ and then when you're in a tough time go, where's that shepherding one again? Let me get some of that shepherdness. I really need that right now in my life. No, this is sheep promises. That's really important for us as we go forward. And just a little uh, pause here for a second to let you know how I'm going to take this psalm. I'm going to do it a little bit differently than maybe I I, I would. I'm going to just walk around it a little bit and I'm going to do a couple observations i got really four observations, or three observations, that I want to make about the psalm. And then I want to show you how I believe the psalm progresses. And it progresses, in my opinion, and I think through study, we'll back it up, f- from God, with God, to God. I want you to kind of keep that in the back of your mind, is the structure that I'm working on. So after I make the observations, we're going to break out, what do I believe is from God? What do I believe God is with us for? And where are we ultimately going? That's the foundation of my message. And I want you to follow along with that. Don't want you to miss it. So my first one, this psalm is for the sheep. That's my first observation. So you can sing it all you want. But until it's a reality of your life, the promises contained within will not apply to you. So this is usually the end of the message type thing. But I believe so strongly in what you're going to hear is one of the most glorious things that you might want to reconsider while you're not a sheep. So be thinking about that if that applies to you. The second thing that I want to show you, the second observation, um, is really for the first four or five verses, which is the whole psalm. But I want to point out a couple things. Starting in verse 2, right after it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we get the name or that who is attributed to. We get he. So this is a psalm of David, and he's writing about God. And so he says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores. He leads. Okay? We get all of these he. And then in verse 4, something strange happens. In verse 4, we see, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're with me. Okay, your rod and your staff, they come from me. You are the one who prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Why is it there? I, I When I first, you know, studied the psalm many years ago, I wasn't really looking at those things. I wasn't looking at that. I was just trying to think like, I'm in a bad place and I want some comfort. Uh, but as I've, I've kind of con- gone back and restudied and also in light of Psalm 22 last week, I think that this might mean for us two things. And this is what I submit to you that I think it could mean um, two, two different things. And here, here's the first one. It could mean that although this is a psalm written about God, We ought not go too far before we start talking to God. That makes sense? So we got David who's writing about these incredible promises that we're going to break out in a second. One that God leads, that he restores, that he guides, that he is all of these things for us. Okay, That he is, this is, we get it because of him. And so maybe it's just so glorious that when it comes time to go to the next part, it's just got to be about you. Maybe we need to mix prayer in with our theology. Maybe we need to think through, while I'm talking about God to my friends, while I'm talking about God to my family, maybe while I'm even talking about God into my own heart as I study the Scripture, I ought to pause and pray. Because it's the you that sustains me. It's the you that's right next to me. Maybe that's what it means. The second thing that it can mean is that in verse 4, we make a little transition in the psalm. The first little section are good things. Green pastures, no wants, leading beside still water, restored souls, paths of righteousness. These are great things. Then in verse 4, we get shadow of the valley of death. Right? So maybe what happens is in our dark night of the soul, like I talked about last week in Psalm 22, maybe there we get a more pronounced sense of God's closeness and nearness. And maybe this is like a mini lament in the middle of 23. The assurances above and the assurances below are not negated by in the middle saying, I need you. So we see the psalmist saying, you are right beside me. You are my protection. You are my comforter. I just think it's interesting. In the middle of what we, what we like or what we know historically to be one of the the greatest texts in all of Scripture to comfort our souls, here we see when we're in the valley, we can call on the name of the Lord. And it is not a God who is far off, it is a God who is near. So I, I think those can be what it means. A third observation is that this psalm begins with what you don't see in it. Now, I know that's a little, um, an interesting way to start breaking into the text is to say, I'm going to tell you about something that's not in it. But what's not in it is our effort. What I want you to try to read on your own when you get a time, see what effort you put into this psalm to get the benefit of having a shepherd. And you will not find it. Because we come to the psalm in a rested state already trusting in the work of God who has done something on our behalf. So when you come into reading this shepherd sentence, no activity in your life brought about shepherding. No moral uprightness, no right thinking, no conduct. Nothing made you the beneficiary of shepherding other than the good will of God who said, I'm going to shepherd you you have to read the psalm this way because it's, it's paramount for how we understand if it's from God, it has to originate with God. If it's from us, it originates with us and what kind of salvation is what we can get for ourselves? It's nothing. It's founded on nothing. But if it's from God, if it's a work of him, if it's his act, then it's as sure as can be and we don't have to earn it. So, just an encouragement. The next time you think I just got to do a little bit more before God will bless me, or I just got to do a little bit more and maybe my victory is around the corner, the victory is already secure in Jesus Christ. You already have it through a great shepherd who gave you the gift of him being a shepherd. I hope that makes a difference when we read the attributes. Well, I'm going to give you eight attributes of the shepherd, and I hope it makes a difference. So I said that the form goes from God, with God, and to God. And I want to look at the from God. And I want to start in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And just a real quick aside. If you were to read the names of God in verse 1 through 21 and afterwards, you know what you mostly see? Strong tower, mighty fortress, thundering God, the God of the mountain, my refuge, my rock, and here we see... Shepherd, It would have been startling to those who read it, and it should be startling for us, that as a promise and as an inheritance, we have a personal, personal. It doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. It says the Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't say, hear, O Israel, the Lord is a shepherd. It says it is my shepherd. So when you read this psalm, say to your heart, my shepherd. Start there. It will help you. But the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, when we think of the word want, in our language, want means anything I might want. So, like, I want a Maserati. No, I don't. I would never fit in a Maserati. I do not want a Maserati. I don't even know why I said that. I want, like, a truck. A man's truck. Anyways, we have wants. So, what what I try to figure out in this text is, when it says that I, will ha- I shall not want, what does that mean? Because very clearly, as Christians, who, who I believe who our affections are fully on Christ, those affections get dulled over time, and we find ourselves desiring and wanting other things. So it can't mean that because we have a shepherd in our life, all of our desires go away for anything else but the shepherd. I don't think that's what it means. So what does it mean? I think, and what I'd like to submit to you is, that we will not lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for us. Doesn't that make more sense? That on a psalm about journeying from God with God to God, we might lack many things, actually. We might lack some of the things that we really want, but what we actually need, we will never lack. And the reason for that is The shepherd alone is our want. He is our desire. Why shall I not want? The shepherd is all we need. I can trust in a shepherd who's already done it. Who's already gone from here to there. So when we go, and when we try to follow, this is not a hollow, I hope it gets me somewhere. It is a rooted and rested assurance in a God who's already done it. And so that's why the shepherd is all we need. The second thing that we get from God is a repose or a respite. Look with me in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, we all know a busybody type person, do we not? We know the person who invites you over Thanksgiving dinner and you actually never meet them because they're just in the kitchen, right? And it's like, happy Thanksgiving, I don't even know what's going on in your life, see you again next year. But that's, we all have those types of people, right, where they're trying to do things by their own efforts, by their own actions. And that's, I think, a little bit about what we, what we sense in here. When we go to Thanksgiving at somebody's house, you could serve me a casserole, but if we have great communion and fellowship, that's what I want. And I feel like in some sense, that's what this is as well. Sometimes we busy ourselves with so many things that we fail to see the shepherd working in our life. And these might not be bad things. These might be, if I just work a couple more shifts, I'll be able to take my family on the vacation that they need so that I can be with them. That's a good idea. I can do that. Or maybe, um, you know what? I just need to do more ministry. I need to do more ministry because I just really feel like God's calling me to it, and I'm just going to just minister for 90 hours a week. just going to do it. We have a shepherd who knows us better than we know ourselves. Better than we know ourselves, sorry. And the word I love in here is makes. Makes me lie down. Now, it could have easily been written, allows you to lie down. But it's makes. Why is it makes? Because sometimes we fail to remember that we need to rest before a Savior who's already done it. And so we, in and of ourselves, start to churn. We start doing things like reading our morning meditations, not for his glory, but to validate that we love him. And we start to do things for our neighbors to show ourselves that, yeah, we really believe this thing. In the midst of all that, we have a Savior who knows us well enough and a shepherd who knows us well enough that says, stop it. Here's a tranquility for your soul. I'm making you rest in who I am. Your soul sufficiency is me. He makes me lie down. The shepherd knows us better than we knows ourselves, better than we know ourselves. The third thing that we see in the text that is from God is restoration. In chapter 3 it says he restores our soul. Now, I don't think it works with what I've been talking about that this psalm is for the sheep and that it's we're already resting in work done for us for for us to argue that this restoration means a new work I don't think that this restoration is like a newness of heart or or a newness of life what I want to argue is that I think that this restoration here is more accurately seen as a refreshment from the Lord Because let's be honest, how many of us have been on this Christian life for 5, 10, 15, 25, 30, 50 or more years and we're weary? And we're tired because we've seen friend after friend drop out. We've seen devastation come. We've seen all of these things that frankly our faith just can't, we don't know how to reconcile it. And so we get weary. But we have a shepherd. We do not stay in a weary state. Because it's the shepherd who restores our souls. It's the shepherd who lets us drink deeply from. Sometimes we need a reminder in those weary times. Sometimes we need to remember that the shepherd is the one who fills us up. How often have we gone to a self-help book? How often have we gone to a podcast? How often have we talked to a friend? How often have we pondered just nothingness in our mind, trying to get through an obstacle or trying to build ourselves up to give us more energy, when what we needed all along was the touch of a shepherd? I wonder how often that's the case. We are very quick to pick up a podcast or a self-help book and be like, that's good stuff. I'm just going to do those eight keys to... Losing weight, and then once I lose weight, it'll be like the eight keys to making more money. You know what I'm saying? That's not what this is about. That's not the restoration we're talking about. We're talking about weary people who love the Lord and need a touch from him, and he promises he's going to give it to us along the way. Here's why I think that. Lamentations 116 says this. It's not on the screen, so uh, listen carefully. Lamentations one sixteen. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. So we see in Lamentations, that's a book of lamenting. And what he's lamenting, what he's crying about is that I don't have a comforter who is near. Or I, I don't have one to revive my spirit. Now, this is most likely a hypothetical, a, a prayer, those types of things. So we're, I'm not submitting to you that God wasn't there i'm submitting to you that what's distressing his heart is that his comfort is far so when we think about a restoration of the soul it's that comfort is near it's that we do have one to revive our spirits proverbs 18:14 says it like this a man's spirit will endure sickness but a crushed spirit who can bear the shepherd who knows us better than we know ourselves, knows when our spirits are on the precipice of being broken. And in the midst of that comes a restoration. Comes a refreshment for us. Have you ever been going through a really dark time and you felt like there's no way you're going to get through it? And then all of a sudden, you see this new side of God you've never seen before and your worship gets deeper? I think that's evidence of the shepherd's care like this. The fourth The fourth thing that we get from God in this psalm, or that is from God in this psalm, is righteousness. Look with me in three again. Right after he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Now I could preach five more sermons on how Christ's righteousness becomes our own. You don't want me to do that right now. So I'm going to just say for a moment, and if we can just leave it for a moment, if you are a Christian in here, if you've already put your hope in the resurrected king, the ultimate good shepherd, you know that a righteousness that you did not earn is now yours. That's what this is referencing. But there's a second thing that there's all that's also referencing here. In that everything that's been happening in verse 1 through 3 is a movement. It's a lying down. It's a green pastures. It's a by rivers. And everything after that is going to be movement as well. There's going to be moving through a valley. There's going to be sitting down at a dinner table. So the other thing that this also means is that the shepherd shapes us through our life experiences. Because if it's God who leads us, if it's God who guides us, if it's God who makes us lie down, if it's God who makes us get up, if it's God who sticks with us in the valley then we know we can trust the plan that he has for our lives that so often seems, I don't know, let's just be honest. If you've ever lived it, you know sometimes it doesn't seem like it makes much sense. But if we can trust in a shepherd who says the experiences, the very experience of your life shapes you, and it's the touch of a shepherd that's shaping you, then we don't look at trials and we don't look at things of like poor me. But it also means we don't look at green pastures and say, I did that. Because there's a danger in the green pasture just as much as there's a danger in the ravine. The green pastures, it's easy to say, look at what I've done with the sweat of my no-brow. In the valley, it's easy to say, God's far from me. But we know the biblical worldview says it's the shepherd that's leading you in both places. So our response is, what am I learning through this God? What do you have for me through this God? Not woe is me. I know i Talked about lament last week, and now I'm telling you this. It's good. They, they go together. So that wraps up the from God. Now we're moving to the with God portion of the psalm. It starts with um, verse 4. And what we have with God is his presence. Okay? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So, like I said, if the shepherd is the one who was leading in the beginning when things are good, it's still the shepherd that's leading now. So we have a presence of a shepherd in our lives in every circumstance. That's never withdrawn. And I'm going to submit to you that it will never be withdrawn. And I'm going to get to you there get there in a minute. But God is with us, the shepherd is with us, and the shepherd is near. So when we go through times, we do not stuff it, like I said last week. We do not put it on the back burner and think it will go away. That's not how it works. We know that we have a shepherd who is near, and so we call out to a shepherd who wants to be near us. Again, if it's not our conduct that's allowing God to be a shepherd in our life, it's certainly not my ongoing behavior that's keeping him nearby. It's the goodness of who the shepherd is. That's why he's near. The second thing that we get with God is protection. It says in verse four, I will fear no evil. Now, there is a, there is a poem that was written, it's pretty famous, and she took it from Psalm 23, and she said, I will fear no evil, dot, 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 but I'm afraid. And I wonder how often that's the case that we take a look at this and we become sort of blasé about difficult things or we even sin in our lives. We're kind of like, all these promises are so good. Like all this stuff is just, I don't know. We take sort of a a light attitude towards it. But that's not what this is saying. This isn't a fearing of evil because we know that God's going to deliver us from every bad thing. No, not at all. If you've been a Christian for here any amount of time, you know bad things in this world abound because this world is broken. Because this world is not as it should be. Because our Savior is there and not here at the moment. So why do we fear no evil? Because our shepherd has already done it. The valley that you and I will walk through, Jesus Christ walked through. The trusting of his soul to the Father, to the great shepherd, is something that Jesus modeled for us. And we can take it to heart because he was not put to shame. When he trusted in God, what did God do? Resurrected, raised him anew. So that in the valley of the shadow of death, that great evil that wants to take us out, that great evil, that death that promises to separate us from God, Jesus says, no thank you. I've already done it. I overcame it. So my sheep, guess what? What evil do they have to fear? Just the death of the body? What matters then? You're going to be with me. What an assurance that we have in the darkest times that our shepherd, who gave us an inheritance that will never perish, that will never fade away, we have, and it does not get taken away. We fear no evil because the shepherd is our hope. If I'm my own hope, that is a very shallow hope. But if Jesus is my hope, man, that's a well that doesn't run dry. We see more with God. We see preservation. It says in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me. We're talking about Sheep. And now all of a sudden we're talking about tables and eating. I don't think the metaphor broke down. I just think that a shepherd's care for us involves provisions and preservation. we got to eat. But here's what's interesting about us needing to eat. Where are we eating in this, verse 5? In the presence of my enemies. So it's almost as if we have not left the valley yet. But in the midst of it, as arrows are flying by, as everything is perilous, <laughs> It is to the Christian, it is to those who have put their hope in the Lord as if the Lord has set out a spread of the finest meats and cheeses and we're going to sit down and dine because nothing, and I say again, nothing can take that away from you. you get the sense of that? So it's God who preserves us ongoing. It's God who's going to provide for us ongoing. And again, why? Yes, there is obviously food here. You prepare a table for me. But you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's your presence that's preserving me. It's the very essence of who you are. You're every good thing I need. That's what's preserving me. I love that. The shepherd sustains us. What an amazing promise. And fourth, in the with God section, pursuit. It says in the first part of verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, our English word, follow, would have you read that verse like, wherever I go, goodness and mercy follow and lag behind me. But that is not the tone. If you look at the most original Hebrew and try to find our best English interpretation for it, that word is pursue. Now, read that a little differently. Surely, goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. And isn't that congruent with this psalm thus far? Because what have we done? Someone raise their hand for me and tell me what effort you've put into this equation. You were rested when you went into it and you're going to be rested at the end of it. So it went from God with God. It's going to go to God. But somewhere in the middle, we have a goodness and mercy will pursue us. Why is it there? Here's what I want to tell you. This is what I think. You can't outrun the shepherd. I know oh, how many of us try. Can I tell you how many times in my life I tried my best not to pray? I put my head into uh, 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 the sand because of another obstacle, another sin again. That same one, the one I thought that was done. Surely I can't be saved. That kind of mentality does not belong in a sheep. Why? Because goodness and mercy pursue me. Where I go, God's goodness and mercy will find me. It's not that it follows behind me and I'm the point. It's the other way around because God's the point. It pursues you because he's about making it about himself, about his glory. And if following after you and if forgiving you and restoring you and redeeming you is part of the plan, try to outrun it. You can't. That should be a great assurance for your soul. We are pursued by goodness and mercy. We start in rest. We end in rest. Our effort has nothing to do with it. We have a Savior who does it all, including going after us when we go the other way. Now, we've gone from God, all the things that we got from God without our effort. All our experiences along the way we're promised that we're with God. Now, where are we going? Second half of verse six. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to God. From God, with God, to God. Isn't that the very nature of what a shepherd does? Takes somebody from one place to a better place? You wouldn't need a shepherd if the place you are already in was good enough. You need a shepherd when the grass is running dry, when everything's decaying. You need to get to the better place. And who does it for us? Not my moral, not my morality. Not my obedience. Not, and here's the interesting part. We, we sometimes as Christians start out really well. We know it's all about Jesus. We know it's all about God and we put our hope in him. But like three years into it, we're like, man, I got to read my Bible more so that God's more pleased with me. So that it's so easy. It is so easy to just regress back, back, back. But if we know that the end goal is communion... We know that it's dwelling in the house of the Lord, and we know that it's God who's doing it. It's sure. It's a sure. It's a reality in the life of a sheep. So we often read these things, this verse, or sorry, these, these verses, and we come to it for comfort. The ultimate comfort is the shepherd himself. And I don't want you to miss it because it's the shepherd that gives it, is with us, and takes us to himself. See, if you look at 23 and look at the only constant, there's only one thing that's constant in all of Psalm 23, and that's the presence of God. Green pastures, temporary. Still waters, temporary. Valleys, temporary. Permanent, God. Always stays there, God. Why is that cool for us? Why is that good? Because if it's about God, it's not about me. I'm going to break that out in a second. But so far I've presented for you, and I'm going to say it one more time so that it sticks, from God, with God, to God. That's what I think the psalm is doing. But I can't end it there. That's meaty enough. We could talk about that enough. But we got to read John 10 to get a real sense of what it's like for the sheep. John 10, 11 through 15, and then 27 through 30. I'll read it for you. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the next time someone says for you, Who is this Jesus in your life? Jesus is calling himself the shepherd. So those eight attributes I just covered in Psalm 23, they are meant to apply to Jesus without qualification. So you can say of yourself confidently today, if you are a sheep, you have Jesus who is our rest. You have Jesus who is our respite or our repose. You have Jesus who is our soul's restoration. You have Jesus who is our righteousness. You have Jesus who is always present. Jesus who is our protector. Jesus who is our preserver. And Jesus who is our pursuer. And if that doesn't get you excited about being a sheep, I don't know what will. That should stick to your bone like some stew. Spiritual bones. It should build you up. Why is it good? I can't just leave it there either. i got to go back. One more thing. Why is it from God with God to God through Jesus? Why is it that way? Follow with me in verse 3, Psalm 23, the very last line. Why does he lead me? Why does he make me lie down? Why does he restore my soul? Why does he lead me in paths of righteousness? For his name's sake why is that a good thing for us because Adam I think what you're telling me is um, if it's for his name's sake it's not about me you're right it is not about you and that should free you the gospel is not about you the gospel is primarily not about you getting from here to there the gospel is about God making much of God and we're his objects of grace We're a part of it. Sure. We can read ourselves into the story. Absolutely. Are we benefactors? No doubt. But are we the pinnacle of the story? Not even close. It's about God. So I have three realities for us. And this is how I'll close it for you. Three realities about why his namesake is a good thing for us. The first is that if we're not the goal of the gospel... If we, if it's not our efforts, if it's not us, it frees us up to make much of God. Isn't that true? When we get ourselves out of the way and we know that it's all gift and it's all grace, guess what doesn't get in the way anymore? Me. Because no matter how many times I foul up, no no matter how many times things in life don't go well, I remember it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon his name. So if I'm not the source of it, and God is, it frees me up to make much of God. And when that happens, I'm filled with joy. Like Think about how that works. We get grace and joy combined. Oh, and by the way, the very presence of the shepherd. Come on. The other one reality is that God gets all the glory. If God shepherds, guys and pursues in our life for his own glory, for the renown of his own name, then he is sure to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives. And here's where I'm going to say it again. When I said goodness and mercy pursues us, here it is again. Jesus will not let the renown of his name or the renown of his father's name down. So if you are a Christian in here and you are embattled in sin, or you are somebody who's bogged down for the life's cares or whatever else, you need to understand. you're not sinning your way out of this. You might say it right now, Adam, that's really eternal security of you right now. Yep. I want you to hear that. Why do I want you to hear that? Listen again, John 10:27. "My sheep. Personal identification. Jesus identifies us as my sheep. Hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, again, is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know who's a part of no one? Me and you. You're going to find people in this life who tell you and they'll try to convince you that you're too far gone. You used to know a truth, but now that truth is too far gone. That's not true. Because if you are a sheep, if you are his, who can take you out of his hand? Not even yourself. That's the kind of shepherd we have. Because if it didn't count on us in the beginning, it doesn't count on us in the end. And the further that we go, all it does is give him more glory. Do you see it? So if we have kids who've made a profession of faith, and they're not walking anymore, we don't, we don't go in despair. We know that the shepherd will do it. Now, we know it's conditional about being a sheep. And we don't know the degree of which people make a declaration of faith. But I know this. If you know in your heart of heart that you have identified with Jesus, and you are embroiled in sin, that should not push you further into more sin. That should peel you up out of it to go to it and say, because it didn't depend on me my conduct doesn't even get me any more righteousness. It's all been from you. It's all because of you and because of that I don't have to fear. I'm going to run to you. Doesn't that glorify God? Don't sit in sin if you don't have to. Don't question the validity of your salvation. You can't because it wasn't your salvation. It's the salvation that was given to you. The final thing. If all this is true, if it's not about me, if it's about God, then heaven is an ever increasing experiencing of those glories. Ephesians two, seven through eight says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace, of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. What does that mean for us? It means you can spend a billion years on top of a billion years, on top of a billion years plumbing the depths of God's glory and barely put a scratch in the surface. You cannot get to the end of God's glory because there is no end. He's always been. He's always been sustained by his own glory and we get to participate and plumb the depths of it. Our souls get to be filled with it and we don't even come close to ever exhausting it because it's impossible to exhaust. That's our reality in heaven, folks. That's where we're going. That's the God who promises in us that if we're a sheep, he takes us it's from him, it's with him, and it's to him, and it's going to be sure because it's him. And let me finish by reading Revelation twenty-one twenty three. It's about the glory of God. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. We're going to a place where there's no there is no, there's no need for light because the glory of the Lamb shines so bright. That is our reality, sheep. So you have two application points today, real briefly. If you're not a sheep, I don't know what's preventing you. I hear a list like that. It makes my heart jump out of my chest. And you have an invitation today to be a sheep. You can do that by saying, Jesus is enough. Jesus is is who I want to follow. So I, I encourage you, if you are not a sheep, pray about it. See if these things aren't, don't ring true in your heart. And the second is, for those of us who are sheep, in what areas in this has this not been ringing true in our lives? In what area have we been believing maybe a live an enemy? Or what area do we need to get right? Now, I don't mean that by getting right, we're all of a sudden in a better place. I just want us to glorify God better. So, David is going to come up and he's going to sing a song for us. This song is from Shane and Shane, and it's Psalm 23. Now, feel free to just listen or feel free to sing along, but I listened to this psalm on repeat for like five days. So I'm super into it right now. That's one thing. The other thing is it's really powerful to hear Scripture sung over you. And It's just my encouragement to you. If you're here and you are a sheep, will you listen to these words, and will these words of assurance and comfort sustain you? Will they build up so that your cup will overflow and we go into our communities and we go into our homes knowing that it's God, that Jesus is enough, that our shepherd is enough. Let's pray. God, we could continue to talk and we could write volume after volume and not even get close to accurately describing how glorious and how amazing these truths are. God, what we want to do is honor you. What we want to do is follow. You are the great shepherd. Father, I pray now through this song and throughout the rest of the week that you shepherd our hearts. We're going to trust in you. We're going to trust in the shepherd who never leads us and takes us exactly where we need to go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.